I just want to give thanks for the worship that we get to share together as a congregation here at Shambly, and uh, for the musicians that lead us. Uh, thank you all. What a blessing. And uh, I told them this morning, they remind me of, uh, well, watching them prepare reminds me of the uh, Beatles documentary that's out right now. I've been watching some of that. I don't know if you've seen any of that. Get back. Um, so I told them just watching them work and sort of discuss and, and debate, if you will, and, and change. Um, it, I'm only about halfway through the, there's three parts. I'm halfway through the second part. It's a slog. I mean, I'll be honest, it's good. But um, so no spoilers, please, if you've already watched the whole thing. And, and frankly, that, uh, that band predates me a little bit. And so uh, it's not like it was part of my youth or uh, my childhood, except for the fact that the, their songs transcend time, right? I mean, my kids know Beatles songs, and that's not my doing. So I, I don't know. Uh, it just seems like they, they, they found something that, that is going to remain uh, forever. But, but that documentary is really interesting to get to sort of watch them work, right? Like to see behind the scenes, particularly in this one particular season in the life of their band towards the end, um, to watch them work out new songs and a plan to... Uh, either perform them live or record them, and, and the documentary is being filmed at the same time, and um, it, it feels like, almost, it feels invasive at times, just to be honest. It, it feels like, we're, you know, I've gotten in there, and I'm seeing and listening to stuff I shouldn't see and hear, uh, seeing how the sausage is made, which, by the way, is an experience you have in the church, too. Um, when, you, when you are asked to serve on, you know, committees or to lead in the administrative life of the church, I mean, I've had that conversation with people that have said, man, that's a, that's a look behind the curtain at what happens in the life of a church to keep it going and keep it moving. And, uh, and I felt a little bit about that with the Beatles as I watched this documentary. But the, one of the things that was fascinating to me that I, I think is a good human sort of example of, of a divine truth is there's a part in the in the first part, about halfway through it, so an hour and a half into it, um, they're talking about this guy, Brian Epstein, Mr. Epstein, they call him. And he's, I guess, historically or commonly referred to as the fifth Beatle. He was, the, he was their manager. He was the one who sort of put them on the map, discovered them, signed contracts, represented them, and, and helped them find fame. And uh, so... It says 1961 is when they entered into that agreement to work together. And then he died in 67, a year after they had quit uh, touring. And so then this documentary picks up like right after his death as they're preparing this, uh, this last album, Get Back, and um, doing the work to write and record the songs. But there's a point in that uh, first, um, about halfway through that, that first episode, where they're really struggling I mean, it, it, again, it's like you're looking behind the curtain here. They are not getting along. They can't find the words to songs. They can't find the, the notes to play together. And, and some of it just sounds bad. You know, this is the Beatles. And, um, and they, they just can't figure out what they want to do, what they want to play, what they want to sound like, who they want to be, what kind of identity they want to have. And, and there's a point in a conversation about that where uh, George Harrison says, it's just not been the same since Mr. Epstein left, since he died. And, and they sort of have this conversation about the fact that he was, for them, 
a father figure. He was the father of the band. It, um, Paul McCartney even says, nothing's the same now that daddy's gone. They, they looked to him and they, they sort of confessed to each other. They looked for the, to him for a sense of direction and identity and you know, who they were going to be and how they were going to sound. I mean, they brought it all. They brought all the talent and the ability and the creativity, but, but he, he served to sort of coalesce that and give them an identity and help them have a direction and, a, and an understanding of themselves that they could then record and share with the world. And they just say it hasn't been the same since daddy was gone. And they were really floundering with each other. And I couldn't help but see the connection between that sort of human experience and the description that we read in the scriptures about God as our father, our everlasting father. In fact, that's one of the names for God, one of the names for the Messiah, for Jesus, uh, that is found in the prophecy in Isaiah 9, is everlasting father. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. We've been reading this book. Hopefully you, you got a copy or downloaded a copy or picked one up here, uh, Names for the Messiah by Walter Brueggemann, and he goes through that prophecy in Isaiah 9, and those four names in particular. And the one this morning that we're going to hone in on is that one of Everlasting Father. And it's a description for God and for the Messiah, for the Christ, all throughout the Bible. So not just in Isaiah 9, but also in Psalm 103. And I want to read some of those verses for us this morning. This is Psalm 103, verses 8 through 14. We'll put it on the screen so you can follow along as I read it out loud. This is what it says. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, very patient and full of faithful love. God won't always play the judge. He won't be angry forever. He doesn't deal with us according to our sin or repay us according to our wrongdoing. Because as high as heaven is above the earth, that's how large God's faithful love is for those who honor him. As far as east is from west, that's how far God has removed our sins from us. Like a parent, passion for their children, that's how the Lord feels compassion for those who honor Him. Because God knows how we're made. God remembers we're just dust. This psalm, which is actually a song, it's, it's a song of joy, a song of rejoicing, identifies God, identifies the Messiah even in a prophetic way as being a compassionate parent. I, I appreciate, frankly, that, that the psalmist uses the word parent there and, and not just father. I mean, father is a, a common name given to God in the scriptures, and yet there's something more whole, more full about knowing God as parent than just father. I mean, there's more to parenting than being a father. God is bigger than gender. And yet in this psalm, what the writer is calling out for us is this image of a heavenly parent, a heavenly father who is compassionate, merciful, Patient, 
and loving. And identifying God as parent or as father has significance in the time that this was written, even in the time of Jesus, to know God as father. Because the father represented not only for the family, but in the community, was, was the, the head of that family, represented the family to the community, represented the community to the family, gave the family identity and purpose, had the most responsibility and the most authority in the family. And so where we, I think, more holistically might understand that today as parent or parents fulfilling that role, we can understand that the writer then looks to God and in a prophetic sense looks to the everlasting Messiah as parent, as the one who gives God's people a sense of identity and purpose, who provides for and protects all of God's children. In fact, in the book, Brueggemann points out that that description of God that, that begins the passage we read, compassionate, merciful, very patient, full of steadfast love, that's actually almost a verbatim quote from God himself or from God in Exodus. At the time in the Exodus when God had led the people to Mount Sinai, the Israelites, out of captivity from Egypt and to Mount Sinai, and given the commandments to Moses to take down to God's people to say, this is how I want you to live. But while Moses was away from them, they had built a golden calf to worship as an idol of their own because Moses wasn't with them and they feared that God wasn't with them. So they began to idolize this gold calf and that angered God. And so God takes it up with Moses and they hash it out together about the lack of faithfulness of God's people of Israel. And God burns with anger against them. And in the discussing and in the hashing out between Moses and God, where God ultimately lands with Moses is he tells Moses, I am above all compassionate, merciful, patient, and full of steadfast love. And that is how I will relate with my people. Not in anger or in vengeance or in punishment, but in love. And that is the image of God. That is the image of the Messiah that the psalmist gives, gives to us that Isaiah gives to us is the invitation for us to know God in that way. To know God's love for us. God's compassion for us. Now granted, maybe it's a little bit of a leap or, or, a, or a difficult move to get from God the Father to Jesus the Son as the Messiah who would be the everlasting Father. Maybe that's a bit of a trail that's tough to flesh out, but Brueggemann does a great job in this book of pointing out that in the sense that Jesus is the embodiment of God, God in the flesh, in the sense of the Trinity, 
that there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that, that we know Jesus as the embodiment of God, and that Jesus was doing something in the moment of his life that would create an eternal opportunity and relationship for all of creation to be part of the family of God, to know themselves as God's children, then, then we can know the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus, as the everlasting Father. Not just Father, compassionate, merciful and loving, but the everlasting Father. And the imagery that's used in this psalm to paint the picture of what that means, that Jesus, that the Messiah would be the everlasting Father. As, as high as the heavens is above the earth, as far as the east is from the west, even the fact, in a very poetic way, that this psalm, Psalm 103, has 22 lines in it, and there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. There's a line in this psalm for every letter in the Hebrew alphabet. The, the psalmist, you get the idea, the psalmist is trying to paint this picture, this beautiful picture of a compassionate and loving God who exists beyond time and space, who is with us always and forever and in every place in every way, everlasting. In that Beatles documentary, it, it, it seems like particularly in that moment when they're talking about Mr. Epstein, that they're at a sort of an existential crisis point, who they are and who they're going to be. And they name that they're struggling to understand that and know that for themselves without their father, the father of the band. I don't know that particularly during this season of pandemic that many of us haven't come to some sense of our own existential crisis. Who am I? What matters to me? What is my identity? For us as a community of faith, as a church, who are we? What matters to us? That we, we find ourselves maybe in this same spot. And the good news of the gospel that we celebrate in Advent and on Christmas and that is celebrated in this psalm of joy, that on this day that we light the pink joy candle in the Advent season, the good news of this is that we have an everlasting Father who doesn't just exist beyond time and space, who isn't going to be here just a thousand years from now or a million years from now. That's not our question, I don't think, right now. I think our question right now is, is God going to last through the night with me? Is God going to last through this season with me? Is, am I going to make it through this job with God? Am I going to make it to tomorrow? Are we going to survive this as a church? That's, that's the kind of questions that we're asking. And the answer that we've been given in the Word of God is, yes, we have an everlasting Father who is with us now and goes with us in it all and through it all. This is a psalm of praise. It is a psalm of joy. 
that that is our God. That is who we know as our everlasting parent. In fact, one of the um, commentaries that I read said this. Those who sing this psalm know themselves to be forgiven sinners. They do not receive steadfast love because they honor God. They honor God because they have been forgiven. We honor God this Advent season. We honor God in our lives because God is the everlasting, compassionate, merciful, and loving Father. And I love during this season the, the scene in the nativity where everybody is sort of drawn in and the manger with the baby, the Christ child is in the middle. Every time I see one, I just have this sense. The shepherds, the wise men, the animals, all of them, that they're drawn near to the Christ who is the everlasting Father. Tonight, we'll have the opportunity to see that reenacted here at 6.30 on our campus. I hope that you'll be here. Maybe bring a friend with you. And if you're here and you're watching, or just if you've got one in your home, or good grief, you can't hardly turn around and not see one this time of year, that nativity scene. Notice how they're all just sort of drawn in towards the Christ, the everlasting Father. And hear the invitation for you from the psalmist, from God, to draw near to the compassionate, loving God, who's everlasting in compassion, mercy, and love. The anger is temporary. In fact, that's, that's what it says in the psalm. God won't always play the judge. There won't always be the, the, the judgmental, the, the criticizing, the condemning, the, the anger, the disappointment that may exist. What is eternal, what is everlasting, is God as compassionate, merciful, and loving parent. And I have a sense that as each one of us draws near to that of who God is, God's compassion for us, we, we feel it, we receive it. And then we don't know it just for ourselves, but we know it for the others who have gathered around. We know God's compassion for her and him and for them. And then not only do we know and feel and experience the warmth of God's love for us and and know it that God has love for everyone else, but then we share in that same sense of compassion and mercy and love for one another. And we know that as our identity, as who we are. That's our sound. 
That's what we have to give to the world is the compassion and the mercy and the love of God. And, you know, there are times where I miss that. I mess it up. I hear it in things I say. I see it in things I write that aren't very compassionate or aren't very merciful. And that breaks my heart. It breaks my heart to hear it from people, uh, someone else who claims the name of Christ or who's a part of the Shambly Methodist Church with me. When we say or write or do things to one another that aren't compassionate, that aren't patient and merciful and loving. But the good news is that even in those moments still, God is drawing us near to who God is, to know that compassion patience, mercy, and love again. To receive it and to give it. Oh, that we would do that together. For each other, with each other, and for the world. I want to ask you if you'll make that a prayer with me. Just right now, wherever you are in the room or you're with us online. Could you envision yourself drawing near to the manger, to the Christ? That light is shining, the light of life. The love of God that's pulling you. And envision yourself being warmed and filled by the light of God's love. And I mean, maybe there's something in you. Or in your life or in your past or something that you would name and identify as hurting, broken, misplaced. Maybe even as getting in the way of that loving relationship with God, with all of God's creation. Would you be forgiven? Would you be set free? Would you know God today as a parent who is compassionate for you, who loves you, and brings life for you, for me, for us, in a new way? Would you receive that today? Would you let that be who you are? Your identity, your song to sing, your sound to share with the world, our song, our sound that we can sing and share together. Oh God, this is our prayer. We are your people. 
We are thankful today to find our identity in you. To find our purpose, to find our way. God, we thank you that we can know you as our everlasting Father. God, it is our prayer that the light of your love would shine not only in us, but through us to one another and to our world. And we pray this today in the name of the Messiah, the Christ Jesus. Amen.